And I bring you God's grace and mercy and peace in his holy and majestic name. Uh, We're thinking today about that uh, story that we just read. Uh, Let me give you a little bit of context. Jesus is there on the night when he's betrayed, and he sits down and prays this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Our sermon for today, what Jesus wants us to talk about for today, is to linger on this story, and he prays two big ideas I want to focus on. One, that Jesus prays he would be glorified, and two... St. Paul, Grafton, Wisconsin, would come to know God as Father. Jesus prays this prayer on the night when he's betrayed in one last, in some sense, ditch effort for us here today and for all Christians scattered throughout the world that he might be glorified and we might call God Dad. Now, glory is a funny thing, isn't it? Everybody, in some sense, knows what glory is. Glory is when we look out and say, ah, yes, that's right, that's good. It's where people stand up and cheer for some sort of accomplishment that you made. Uh, This year, at least at our school, uh, we had an incredible moment of glory. For you see, each year we have a staff and student basketball game that takes place. I I myself was talking an incredible amount of smack uh, to the eighth grade students. And all year long, as we got closer and closer and closer, uh, the dialogue continued. But right before our big game, my back went out and God humbled the proud. It was the first time in staff remembrance that we lost to the eighth graders and they reveled in their glory. They cheered, they acclaimed, they celebrated. That was glory. We know what glory is. It's when the Olympians stand up there on their pedestals and the entire stadium chants their name. But the strange thing is this. When Jesus prays in our prayer for today, God, glorify me. Where do Christians stand up and cheer for that guy? Christian commentators have been thinking about this question for the last 2,000 years, and the common consensus is this. Christians... People stand up and ironically cheer when the guy is put to death. When Jesus prays, God glorify me, that prayer is answered with yes when Jesus dies on the cross. For you see the Olympiads, they have those laurel wreaths placed upon their heads. Jesus, he gets a crown of thorns. The Olympiads, they get medals that hang on their necks, but Jesus, he gets a spear stuck up into his side. The Olympiads are there with first and second and third place, but Jesus is hung between two common criminals. Jesus' glory is a strange event for Christians where we, in some ironic way, cheer for someone who is put to death. And we gladly do it. So that at the end of our days, when Christ finally returns from heaven, we get to live out that picture that is written in the very last book of the Bible. Let me read it for you. Here it comes from Revelation chapter 7. It's a very familiar one. We read these often at funerals because it paints a picture of what we will have because Christ was put to death. Here's what it says. One day, all Christians, that's us, 
we will be before the throne of God forever. And we will serve him on that day and night in his temple. And Jesus, who sits on the throne, will shelter us with his presence. And on that day, we will hunger no more. We won't thirst anymore. The sun will not strike us by day, and nor other will be there be any scorching heat. For Jesus, who is in the midst of the throne, will be our shepherd. And he will guide us to streams of living water. Jesus prays for glory today. And God gives it to him for us. But Jesus also prays for something else. He prays that, not only for his own glory, but that just as he calls God dad, we might do the same thing too. For Jesus knows all things and looks out and, and even today knows the crummy things going on here in Grafton, Wisconsin for you. Two things that daily assault us. One is the devil. St. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he says, don't you know, Christians? We don't actually fight against flesh and blood. We fight against Satan. We fight against the unseen forces in this world. He calls them the powers and the dominions and the thrones. Those things that constantly onslaught God's people daily. But there are natural stressors and tendencies that pop up in our own lives, our families, our finances, our friends, and we know them so well. In fact, these stressors that pop up are some of the number one health concerns that American Christians face. Let me read to you just a few statistics. 60% of all illnesses and diseases in America are related to stress. 75% of all doctor's visits are somehow connected to stress. 13% of Americans between the ages of 18 and 54 suffer from acute stress. That's depression and anxiety. 44% of all Americans lose sleep every single night because of stress. And if you're 65 years or older, most likely your number one health concern is related to stress. Why? Because it's the most significant indicator of heart attack, heart disease, and stroke. Jesus prays that we might come to know God as dad because he knows the devil wants to take us out and he knows the stressors in our lives as well. This dad idea is a common, endearing thought that we see in the Holy Scriptures, one that Jesus himself talks about. You see, the idea of dad is, is there in the Old Testament, but it's only used seven times throughout the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, Jesus refers to God as dad over 200 times. Think about it with me. The very first time that Jesus is recorded speaking in the Bible is when he's a kid. Some of you know the story, and for others of you who don't, let me help refresh you for a moment. Jesus is there as a child, the one Bible story we get of, of Jesus as a teenager. He goes with his parents to, to church, to the synagogue, with all of his cousins and aunts and uncles, and he's there, and on his way home, uh, his earthly mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, just think uh, Jesus is off with his cousins having a good time, and they lose the Son of God, and after a couple days, they find out he's not with them. They backtrack to church in the synagogue and find Jesus. And when they give him a little lecture, what are the first words out of Jesus' mouth? Why were you so worried? Didn't you know I would be in my 
Father's house. As Jesus hangs on the cross and he dies, the very last word he utters is, into your hands I commit my spirit, Father. You see, Father is an endearing term. We all have dads in this room. Some of them, I'm sure, were incredible. Some of them, I'm sure, were absentees. Some of them uh, maybe were physically present, but emotionally were a mile away. God comes and wants us to see him as our dad in heaven because he far exceeds the worst and certainly the best earthly fathers that we could ever imagine. It's a term of endearment. Because when my kids come to me, uh, do they say this to me when they talk? Do they say, oh, hi, hail, oh, sovereign monarch of the Schultz clan. Oh, thou who does so omnipotently dispense our allowances. I wish, but they just say, dad. And that's what God wants us to refer him as to. Because our earthly dads will say things like this, yeah, 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 son, I'll get and I'll fix your foosball table later. They'll say things to their daughters, yeah, 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 I'll fix your Barbie's broken arm one day. And our promises, our good intentions will fail from time to time, but not our dad in heaven. This is how Jesus concludes his prayer for today. He says this, He says these profound words in John chapter 17. He ends the prayer, Holy Father, keep them in your name. That name is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That name is placed upon you in a mysterious way in the waters of holy baptism. That name means that we get to call God Dad. That name means that we're going to have life everlasting. That name means that when Jesus prayed that 2,000 years ago, he knows Satan is still going to be active, and he knows the stressors of every day are still going to cause us trouble, but our God and Dad in heaven cares. And before Jesus goes to the cross and dies, he prays for you. He prays that we would stay faithful in the midst of our trials. He stays and prays that we would remember the glory that he brings on the cross. But Jesus prays, most importantly, that we would be called children of God. Those loved and saved through Jesus. Christian, I don't know all of the things that you're going through today. Maybe you are well aware of the stressors in your life. Maybe you are well aware of the satanic forces that are onslaughting you in your life. But how many things are we completely oblivious to? That our good dad shields and protects us from daily. This is the purpose of John 17. To think about Jesus, the glory he brings, and our dad who is in heaven. May our God always keep us mindful of this. We pray in his mercy and peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.